Thanks for joining us on the Hope Podcast. Hope Community Church exists to love people where they are and help them grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. By pursuing this relationship together, we can change the world. We have multiple locations, including an online service found at gethope.tv. If you're not from the greater Raleigh-Durham area in North Carolina or near our Agape campus in Haiti, we'd love to still have you be a part of what Hope is up to through our online services. If you do live in our physical area, go to our website at gethope.net to check out where our campuses are located and our service times. Please like and share this with your friends or family. We are so glad you stopped by. Well, I hope everyone had a great weekend and a happy Thanksgiving. My name is Chase. I'm one of the pastors here at Hope, and I feel like I need to give a disclaimer before I start. Uh, I, if you're watching online or at one of our campuses, you should know that I recorded this the Thursday before Thanksgiving. So if 2020 keeps on being itself and the 108th crazy thing happens between now and when you're watching it, that's why I'm not addressing it. So if a volcano exploded or Martians invaded or Duke actually won a football game, I don't know about it yet, that's why I'm not addressing it. It, but we are in week three of our series on Elijah. And if you're just joining us, let me catch you up. Uh, we've been studying the life of this prophet, and he lived during a really crazy time in Israel's history. Uh, during his lifetime, Israel had begun worshiping Baal or Baals, these false gods, under the guidance of their king Ahab. So Ahab had married a lady named Jezebel, who was a Baal worshiper herself. And her influence on him led to the killing of all of God's prophets and outlawing the worship of the one true God. So because of this, God has sent a drought on the land and he's gonna use this drought and the courage of Elijah to bring his people back to him. And we've been discovering what made this man Elijah so influential. Well, this week, I wanna take you through two events in the life of Elijah. One is probably the most famous event in his life. The other, you've probably never read or heard a sermon on, but they happen back to back, and when you put them together, they're powerful. So they both happen in 1 Kings chapter 18. So like I usually do, we're just gonna go through this chapter almost verse by verse. Now, let me say as you're turning there in your Bibles that this is a chapter that all of us will be able to identify with. I know there's some confusing Old Testament stories in the Bible and sometimes we walk away from those stories saying, what in the world does that have to do with me? But this isn't one of those. All of us are gonna be able to identify with this story. And I'll warn you, some of us are gonna feel some pretty strong conviction and that's good and that's healthy and also some incredible encouragement. In fact, there are two groups of people that this story speaks directly to, two groups that this story kind of calls out to, and I'm gonna call these two groups the dancers and the decided. So the dancers and the decided. I know decided is not a noun. I'm gonna use it as one, and that's not gonna make any sense right now, but it will in a few minutes. So let's jump in to 1 Kings chapter 18, verse one, where it says this. After a long time in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. Now, we're skipping over the last part of the story in chapter 17. Mike's gonna hit that next week, so I won't give any spoilers, but let's just say that Elijah's time of testing, it comes to an end in a miraculous way. But now we see that this three-and-a-half-year drought is about to be over. And so God knows this, and so he speaks to Elijah and says, go present yourself to the evil king, to Ahab. You've been hiding long enough. It's time for a final showdown. Now, that wasn't all that was said. It was a much longer talk where God revealed everything that Elijah was to do, but we aren't told those details. 
Well, Elijah leaves his hiding spot in Zarephath and he starts making his way to Ahab's palace. And it just so happens that he comes face to face with a guy named Obadiah. Now, Obadiah is a servant of the king Ahab and he's a secret worshiper of God. Look at verse seven. As Obadiah was walking along, Elijah met him. Obadiah recognized him, bowed down to the ground and said, is it really you, my Lord, Elijah? Yes, he replied, go and tell your master, Elijah is here. Yes, the prophet's back, baby. This is like a scene out of a superhero movie. This is awesome. I would give my left foot, and if you don't have a left foot, no offense, but I would give it away to be able to say something as dramatic as that. Hey, you go and tell them, the pastor is here, right? But don't underestimate how dangerous this is for Elijah. If God doesn't come through, just coming out of hiding means certain death for him. Just look at how Obadiah responds, verse nine. What have I done wrong, asked Obadiah, that you're handing your servant over to Ahab to be put to death? And he basically says in the next few verses, if I go and tell Ahab, Elijah is here, and then you pull another three and a half year disappearing act, I'll be the one that dies. But then Elijah responds in verse 15, as the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve, I will surely present myself to Ahab today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. So the scene is set. These mortal enemies are about to come face to face after three and a half long years. And you know that Ahab has dreamed about this day. He's planned out exactly what he's gonna say to him when he sees him. He's gonna kill him. This is the showdown to end all showdowns. So these two men, one evil and one a prophet, finally meet outside the palace walls and they come face to face. And look at what Ahab says in verse 17. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, is that you, you troubler of Israel? Lame. That's not nearly as cool as Elijah. If you ever become an evil king, make sure you work on your smack talk because that is the worst burn of all time. Is that you, you lint liquor? Now, uh, Elijah replies and says this, I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You've abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now, summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So apparently we're getting ready to see a battle royale. We're gonna see a final test between Baal and his followers and God and his prophet. Verse 20, so Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Now, I wanna slow down here because there's a lot in the next few verses. We have all the people of Israel, the ones caught in this horrible power struggle between Ahab and Jezebel and Elijah, watching this scene unfold as Elijah, the prophet of God, stands face to face with 850 prophets of Baal and Asherah. And they have no idea what to expect. But instead of Elijah jumping in the ring to beat down the prophets, and instead of him even addressing Ahab or Jezebel, he turns to the people watching. He turns to Israel and addresses them. And that's because he knows that this is the heart of the problem. But yeah, Ahab being influenced by Jezebel and killing the prophets, that's bad, but the people of Israel far outnumber them. They could have stopped this a long time ago, but they have chosen to go along with it. So Elijah, after three years, faces the whole nation of Israel and speaks to them. And he says this in verse 21. Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. 
and I wanna hang out here for a while. Elijah uses an interesting word in this verse. In the NIV, it's translated waver. How long will you waver between two opinions or two gods? But the word there in the Hebrew is pesach, and you kinda have to cough at the end to say it right. And it's a weird little word, but it's important. It literally means to hop back and forth. It's the same word actually used for the Passover. So you could say the Israelites were hopped over by the angel of death, but that doesn't sound as good as Passover. Uh, It can be translated to halt or to hesitate, but the best translation is to dance. That's how it's translated later in this chapter. So the picture that Elijah is giving us is one of Israel dancing with the one true God and then dancing away over to Baal and then dancing back to God and then dancing back to Baal over and over again. You guys remember your first dance? I don't know if they still have school dances if they're politically correct, but I remember my sixth grade dance and I remember that moment the electric slide ended and I thought Cotton Eye Joe was gonna play and instead I heard all my life. I dreamed of someone like, and Casey and JoJo comes on, and then Christy Lepsick, my date, she caught my eyes, and she puts her hands out like this, like a zombie or something. I put my hands out like this, and we sway back and forth about two feet apart for two and a half glorious minutes, right? Thank you, Casey and JoJo. We've all had those slow dance moments, but can you imagine, let's say you went to a wedding, and uh, it's the reception now, and they now, now announcing for the first time in public, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, and it's time for their, their first slow dance together, so a cheesy country song comes on, and the bride starts dancing with her new groom, and they're snuggling, and they're kissing, and then about 30 seconds later, can you imagine if she danced away from him and then started dancing with the best man? And they plants a big wet kiss on, on his lips. And then after about 30 seconds, she dances away and goes and starts dancing with the groom's uncle. And then plants a big wet kiss on his lips. Now, knowing who goes to a church like Hope, maybe you've been to a wedding like that. There's probably a Fuquay joke in there somewhere. Mike can find it, I didn't. But I've never been to a wedding like that. That'd be crazy. But this is what Israel is doing between God and Baal. It's not that they fully embraced Baal and are only worshiping him. That would be one thing instead. They're going back and forth, hopping or dancing between the one true God and the false God of Baal. When it comes to the God of the Bible, they don't fully love him, but they can't find it in themselves to fully leave him. So this is the first group of people that this story addresses, the dancers. Those of us that say we follow God, or at least one time we did, but for some reason, we just keep finding ourselves following other things. We dance back and forth between the God of the Bible and other gods with a little G. Things like money or comfort or control or drugs or sex or approval or power. And if we're honest, that's a lot of us. A lot of us try to find meaning and happiness and purpose in something that is not God. And those things can be bad things like drugs or stealing a little off the top from your company for more money, but those little G-gods can be good things as well, like a relationship. Life only has meaning or I only have purpose if I'm with him or with her or a need to be needed. Life only has meaning or purpose if people need me to take care of them or to fix their problems. Or politics is a big one. Life rises and falls based on who is elected at the time. And it's not that we fully embrace a lifestyle of promiscuity or drunkenness or money at all costs. No, we still go to God for certain things when we're in a bind or when our little G God doesn't seem to be working out, but we still find ourselves going back into the arms of another lover. That's what the Bible calls idols, these little G gods. And Israel has been doing this for decades. 
When you're laying in bed at night and not quite awake, but not quite asleep, and your mind is wondering, what sort of things does it wander to? Does it dance away to? What sort of things do you daydream about? Where does your mind go when you're on a long drive? Because there's a good chance that's the God that you keep dancing away to. And allow me to step on toes here because a lot of us would say, that's not me. But let me ask, are you someone who embraces what God says about his love and free forgiveness but don't like or obey what he says about sexuality or sex before marriage? That's dancing. That's a half-hearted relationship with God. Are you someone who embraces what God says about loving our enemies but don't like or obey what he says about being generous or tithing? That's dancing. Are you someone who wants all the benefits of following Jesus, so salvation, eternity in heaven, joy and peace, but you won't allow God to dictate how you should live your daily life? That's dancing. And I see this all the time in ministry. A couple will come up to me and want me to perform their wedding and they're Christ followers and they attend faithfully. Maybe they even serve in different ministries, but after a few conversations, it comes to light. They've been living together for two years and they're sexually active and they have no plan to stop. And there's always a reason. The rent's too high, the finances, they just can't move out, that's dancing. You know, we had a couple here one time and they were living together and when the guy heard that God didn't want him to be doing that, he went and set up a tent at Lake Jordan and lived there for a few weeks before his wedding. That's not dancing, that's what God's after. Just recently someone moved into their backyard shed because they wanted to be faithful to God. And this is not like you can't fail or make a mistake or sin and still be a Christian. You absolutely can. This is a divided heart issue. Either God has your whole heart or he doesn't. But Elijah is telling us it can't be this half-hearted thing. And there's tons of reasons why this is so bad for us. First, this dancing or this divided heart business, it obviously harms the, uh, the quality of your relationship with God, which is the very thing that you were created for which is the only thing that will ever bring you joy and meaning and purpose. Imagine being married, and that's how the Bible describes our relationship with God all the time. He's the groom, we're the bride. So imagine being married. Now, imagine after a few years, you get kind of bored and you start a side relationship going. And then after a few months, you get both the people in the room together and you introduce them, Bill, meet Bob, Sue, meet Jane, and you just say, hey, I want both of you to know that I love each of you. Not totally or unconditionally, but enough. And I'm not gonna pick one side or the other. I'm gonna stay married to you and I'm gonna keep dating you on the side. How do you think that would go? Now, I know I lived in Asheville. There's such a thing as polyamory and also because I lived in Asheville, I know that doesn't work out. But besides that, how do you think your current spouse would feel? That's gonna be even worse for them than just going and getting a divorce. It's much better to choose one person or the other. It's this divided heart thing that will just destroy that relationship. And the Bible says that the God that we serve is a jealous God. He's jealous for us and for our hearts. He wants our whole hearts. He wants all of us, not just a piece there or a piece here. That's why it says, he says in Revelations, I'd rather you be hot or cold. I want nothing to do with this lukewarm mess. Can I share with you one of the wisest things I've ever heard? And some of you are gonna hear this and be like, duh, that's not wise, but I'm not that smart, so it's wise to me. It says this, listen, you can't have a close relationship with God in the present while you're planning to sin in the future. You can't have a close relationship with God in the present while you're planning to sin in the future. I know, I've tried it. So you can't have a wild weekend out 
and then head to church on Sunday and then wake up on Monday and start praying and talking to God all the while in the back of your mind be formulating plans for another wild weekend out. Now, you can do that. That's the beauty and the grace of the God we serve. He will take you back every single time and welcome you into a relationship, but it will never be a good relationship. It'll never be a growing and thriving relationship. You can't have the relationship with God that you were created for when you're dancing between him and something else. And secondly, not only does this ruin your relationship with God, but also dancing between God and something else robs you of life, of the abundant life that God wants to give you. You see, the drought that Israel is in is a symbol of the spiritual reality that this wavering or this dancing leads to. I know when we first start this dancing, it's because we think there's something we lack that God just can't seem to give us. So we go after a relationship or this amount of money or this physical high to try and fill the void to fulfill ourselves. But any time we step away from God to something else, it never, ever leads to joy or more life. It always leads you to a place where ultimately you're dry, you're parched, you're unfulfilled, and you're more thirsty than you were before, just unsatisfied. And this is Israel at this moment, distant from God, desperate for some satisfaction and content to just continue the stance. And Elijah says, choose, pick one. And you can see his frustration. How long, how long will you continue living like this? It's killing you. Aren't you tired of this type of existence? Make a decision one way or the other, but stop with this dancing, with this dividing heart, this divided heart stuff. And look at what Israel says in verse 21. But the people say nothing. They say nothing. They don't get angry and defend themselves, which would be one thing. They don't cry out and repent. They're just apathetic. Don't let that be you today. Well, Elijah is gonna put them in a situation where apathy is not possible. Verse 22, then Elijah said to them, I'm the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets, so get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I'll prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call in the name of your God and I will call in the name of the Lord and the God who answers by fire. He is God. It's another cool sentence there. Now notice, he's giving the prophets of Baal all the advantages. You pick the two bulls. You pick which one is mine. You get to go first, and you can take as long as you want. Then all the people said, what you say is good. So they took the bull, given them, and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered and they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said, surely he's a God. Perhaps he is deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. That's the PG version. Literally, it's maybe he's on the toilet and can't be disturbed. Verse 28, so they shouted louder, and they slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom until their blood flowed. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for evening sacrifice. But there was no response, no one answered, no one paid attention. And this is one of the saddest pictures we see in the Bible. 
You see, all my illustrations before about dancing with this guy and then that guy or being married to one person and starting a a side relationship with another person, all those illustrations fall apart here because in those analogies, the God with a little g is a real person. They exist. But the crazy thing is that the things we so often dance away from God for, they're not real. They don't exist in reality. They're figments of our imagination. They're nothing more than convenient and destructive lies that we have chosen to believe. And we find ourselves acting just like these prophets of Baal, calling out to them, right? Power, money, acceptance, sex, relationships. Come on, fulfill me, make me whole. Give me just a little bit of satisfaction. And many of us get to the point where just like these prophets, we are willing to wound ourselves and to scar ourselves instead of giving up on this hopeless chase. And I've seen it. We're willing to throw our marriages away, to destroy our reputation or integrity, to push our kids or family members aside. We're literally willing to suffer in the hopes that this non-existent thing, this lie, will finally deliver on what is falsely promised. And Israel's watching this chaotic scene. The prophets start off chanting, but then they get louder and louder, and then there's screams from the pain of cutting themselves. But the most deafening noise is in that last verse. There is no response. There is no answer. There's just silence. You ever had a moment like that in your life? I have when Jenny and I were in our third or fourth year of marriage and uh, we had two daughters at this point and um, I've shied away from sharing this story with too many people so why not 20 or 30,000 now but uh, early on um, I had an idea of what marriage was all about and it was all about me my happiness and my comfort and in my mind Jenny was there to make me happy now that's not the Bible's idea of marriage Like Mike said, uh, biblically, God doesn't give us marriage to make you happy. God gives you marriage to kill you. And we laugh at that, but it's true. It's not about your momentary happiness, but your sanctification, about making you into the type of person you were created to be, which ultimately leads to joy and happiness. But my approach was that marriage was to make me content and happy, and that's the thing that I was dancing away from. That's the thing that I was chasing after. Well, very quickly, I was running into speed bumps. In, this, in the pursuit of this type of marriage. We had kids, there was jobs, there was finances, the normal stresses of life, and I was young and dumb, and I emphasized dumb. And so I got angry, a lot. I had an anger problem. I get mad that Jenny wanted me to do something that I didn't wanna do, that didn't make me happy or comfortable, like doing chores around the house or not spending money that we didn't have. And this got worse and worse until finally one night we were on the dinner table and the kids were crying and Jenny made something that I didn't like, I think, and uh, I just boiled over and I got mad. And I threw my dishes in the sink and I turned around and Jenny was staring at me as serious as I've ever seen her and she just said, get out. And so I stomped out and got in my Honda Civic and uh, didn't know where to go so I just went to the closest hotel and got a room and I still drive by that hotel on the way to work. And it was late and it was the last room they had and it was dirty and it smelled like cigarette smoke and I didn't bring anything with me so I just laid on top of the comforter for a while before falling asleep. And I remember the moment where I realized, like, ah, Chase, your idea of marriage and God's idea of marriage are opposites right now. And God's plan for marriage seems a lot harder and a lot more uncomfortable 
And your idea of marriage seems a lot easier and a lot more enjoyable, but your idea of marriage doesn't exist. And you've been crying out for three or four years, come on, easy, comfortable marriage, time to kick in, time to deliver a little bit of happiness. Has there been an answer? No. It's because it's a mirage, it's a lie. And look where chasing after that got to you. So it was in that moment in the deafening silence where I had that realization. It's an illusion, it's not real, and I'm killing myself and my marriage and my kids for a lie. And it was that night I changed direction. Now, spoiler, Jenny let me back in. And I got counseling, and uh, we got counseling, and we started the work of rebuilding what we had according to the Bible. And we're in a much better place 10 years later. I actually asked Jenny if she was comfortable if I shared that story. And she said, heck yeah, and tell him I'd kick your butt out again if I had to. So that's my wife. Verse 30, then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. And they came to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, your name shall be Israel. And with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he dug a trench around it large enough to hold two seahs of seed. It's a large hole. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it a third time. And the water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. And at the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed just two sentences. Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. And then the fire of the Lord fell and it burned up the sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the soil and also licked up the water and the trench. And when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, oh, the Lord, he is God. See, Elijah's showing the people that Baal is not real. And that's what you dancers need to hear today. The Lord is God and there is no other. That little G God that you keep dancing away with, I know it promises a happy future, but it's a lie. It's an illusion. God is the true God. And because God alone is real and true, then his principles and commands are the only path worth following. And so if you're listening right now and you'd have to admit, yeah, I've been dancing. I've been wavering in my relationship with God. You need to hear today that you have a choice. And it's the same choice that Moses gave the Israelites in Deuteronomy where he says, today I set before you life and prosperity or death and destruction. So you have God, the one true God and his principles and his commands or you have lies, but you have a choice, choose life. Make a choice today, put a stake in the ground and say I am done dancing away from you God. I'm done chasing after and sacrificing my life for a destructive lie. Today, I choose life. Today, I say the Lord, he is God. But you have to choose to stop dancing. Verse 40, then Elijah commanded them, seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. So they seized them, and Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered there. 
That's what they did to the Lord's prophets. So he returns the favor. And it's important that he does this in order to remove that temptation to dance or to waver in the future. Now, there's another group that this story speaks to, and it's the group that I call the decided. And it's those of you who don't really dance anymore. Maybe you did when you first started following Christ, but you had an aha moment like I did, and you've been pretty steady for a few years or decades even. And you put a stake in the ground years ago and decided to follow God and said, God will have my whole heart and I will follow him no matter what. And by God's grace and the help of the spirit you have. And you're in that group of people that are more like Elijah than the people of Israel. All the stuff that the world has to offer you, it's not really that attractive. But something you probably figured out is that just because you are on the path to life, just because you're on God's path, it doesn't mean that life gets any easier. In fact, there are certain seasons where, where you've been doing it God's way and applying his principles and his commands, but there just doesn't seem to be any payoff yet. You don't really see God's promises playing out. Your obedience doesn't seem to be getting you anywhere. Maybe your marriage was in trouble, so you've read in the book of Ephesians and elsewhere how, how God's designed marriage, and so as a husband, you've been trying to love your wife sacrificially, but week after week, she seems to be growing more distant, and your marriage doesn't seem to be getting any better. Maybe you're a wife, and you've read the crazy stuff the Bible has to say, and so you've been trying to follow your husband's lead and do that dreaded S word, the submission to him, but he doesn't seem to be leading your family anywhere. Well, there's a short little story at the end of this chapter, and I've often passed over it, but there was a, a pastor in Dallas that really illuminated this text for me a few weeks ago, and it speaks to this decided group. You know, we've been talking about what made Elijah so influential, uh, what character traits made his life so impactful. And as I was, as I was reading and rereading this story, something that just jumps off the page is the character trait of perseverance. In chapter 17, God tells Elijah one time, depart and go. I want you to go to the brook of Cherith where you can drink from the water and ravens are gonna feed you. So Elijah says, that sounds crazy, but I'll go. So he does. Then God tells him a little while later, depart and go to Zarephath and hide and a widow will feed you. And he says, that sounds crazy too, but a second time he does it. And then when he's with the widow, God says, hey, make bread out of that little bit of flour and oil, trusting that I won't let it run out. So he says, that sounds crazy, but it does it one day. And then he wakes up again, and he does it the next day. And he does it again and again, over and over. Next week, Mike's gonna tell you a story about the widow's son, but in that story, Elijah obeys God three times. Here, he drenches the bull and the altar with water, and then he does it again, and then he does it again. And this theme of perseverance comes up over and over again. You see, Elijah had decided that God alone was real, that he was true, and because of that, he knew that God's principles and commands could be trusted. That even though in the moment he may not be experiencing God's promise, and that it might seem to him in his limited perspective that all of this obedience stuff isn't paying off, he believed that eventually, by obeying God's principles and commands, he would one day experience God's promises. Well, this theme of perseverance comes up again. Look at verse 41. Elijah said to Ahab, go, eat and drink, for there is the sound of a heavy rain. There's not. There's not a cloud anywhere, but this is the type of faith that Elijah had. So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel, bent down to the ground, and put his face between his knees. Go and look towards the sea, he told his servant. And so he hikes up, and he looks, and comes back. There's nothing there, he said. 
Seven times Elijah says, go back. So the second time he sends his servant up. So the servant hikes, looks out, not a cloud in the sky, comes back down, says, Elijah, there's nothing there. Elijah says, go again. So the servant hikes back up and he doesn't see anything and he comes back down. He's like, this dude just killed 850 people. I don't wanna get him upset, but Elijah, there's nothing there. Go again. So he hikes back up, nothing comes back down. Go again. Okay, so he hikes back up, comes back down, nothing, go again. Hikes back up, goes back down for the sixth time. Elijah, there is nothing there. Elijah says, do it again. Verse 44, the seventh time the servant reported, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds, the wind rose, and a heavy rain started falling for the first time in three and a half years. And Ahab rode off to Jezreel, and the power of the Lord came on Elijah. And tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. Mike's gonna pick up this story two weeks later. But listen, some of you are done with dancing, and you've decided to follow God in your marriages and with your kids and with your finances and with all of life. And you may be in a place right now where you're wondering when all of this obedience and single-minded devotion is gonna pay off. Some of you have been going faithfully to NA or AA meetings for a few months now and you just don't see anything happening. Listen, because God is true, that means his principles are true. And I just wanna encourage you today, go again. And then get up tomorrow and do it again. And then do it a third time and keep it up. And one day you're gonna see a cloud the size of a man's head and hand. And one day you're gonna experience a flood of blessings because the Lord, he is God and he keeps his promises. Some of you moms and dads out there, you're getting breakfast ready and you're changing those diapers and you're doing that schoolwork and you spend every single waking hour nurturing and protecting and providing and you spend your nights praying for those kids and right now you're tired and you're worn out and you're thinking the more I serve, it seems like the worse my kids get. Listen, go again and then get up tomorrow and do it again and then the next day and the next day and one day you will look up and you're gonna see something small on the horizon, but you will reap a flood of blessings and rewards for that because God alone is true and his principles and his path alone is true and you will find that he keeps his promises. You couples whose marriages are on the brink of disaster and you have committed to do it God's way and you're loving and sacrificing for and honoring your spouse and it seems like the harder you work, the more distant they get. Listen, do it again and then do it again, and then recommit yourself to doing it again, and one day you will see a cloud on the horizon, and your spouse's heart will start to soften, and trust and intimacy will one day flood back in, and you will reap the reward of God's blessing because he keeps his promises. My wife and I are doing foster care right now, and we have a beautiful one and a half year old little daughter, and our hope is to reunite her with her parents, but our kids are 11 and 12 years old, so we're back in diapers and sleepless nights, and it's a lot of Mickey Mouse clubhouse, and I forgot that human beings pee on themselves early in life, so it's a lot of diaper changing, and a lot of yogurt, and a lot of messes, and some days I just look up and I say, is this, is this worth it? 
Is she gonna remember this? Is this gonna help her parents get back on her feet? And then I remember, and God's scripture says, take care of the widows and the fatherless. And so I just commit myself, let's do it again. And let's do it again, and let's do it again. Because it is a long obedience in the same direction. And there's gonna be storms and droughts and failures and testings and all sorts of other things. And you're gonna be tempted to dance away to something else, to dance down another path than the one laid out for us in scripture. And I just wanna plead with you, don't do it. Don't stray from the course that you've committed yourself to. Don't buy into the lie. Persevere. Stay faithful day after day after week after week after year after year after decade because the Lord is God and he alone is real, he alone is true and because of that we know his principles and commands are true and they always, listen to me, they always lead to life and blessings and the experience of God's promises. So you wanna experience the life that you were created for? You wanna make an impact in this world? You wanna experience God's promises for your life? If you're dancing, stop. Make a decision to follow after God and his principles and commands. And if you've made that decision, keep going. And you help me keep going and I'll help you keep going and one day, something small is gonna turn into something significant and a flood of God's promises are gonna wash over. Let's pray, Father, thank you for your word. It's given in love and it's true. Thank you just for this reminder of our propensity just to, to dance away from you. God, we just confess. <laughs> we are so easily tempted by lesser things that could never compare to you. And so I pray for those of us that are dancing. Father, I pray that you would just begin a process of wooing them to you again. Would you capture their hearts? Father, I pray that you would just shock them, startle them with the silence and the emptiness of what that, that bale, that lesser God with a little G has to offer. Would they just see it for what it is? Father, would they return to their first love? <laughs> would you just remind them of how good a God you are? So I pray that many would just stop dancing and renew that commitment to you. And for those people that are listening right now who aren't dancing, but they're decided, God, we pray for perseverance. Spirit, would you supernaturally work in our hearts? Would you be the lifter of our heads? <laughs> when we look to the mountains where our help comes from, God, we wanna finish well. We wanna finish the race. So I pray that we could help each other and I pray that you would do that for your glory and for your namesake. And it's in the beautiful and matchless name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Hope Podcast. We appreciate you joining us as we tackle issues facing our modern world from a biblical perspective. To make sure you don't miss a message, please take a moment and hit the subscribe button. Also, if you're new to Hope and want to check out what we're about and how to be a part of our community, Go to our next steps at gethope.net slash next. Let us know your story because we'd love to connect with you.